Can Viagra also protect the heart? Welcome to a focus on heart health. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. Recent research shows that sildenafil, key ingredient in Viagra, may actually shield the heart from damage caused by high blood pressure. My guest today is Dr. David Cass, an Abraham and Virginia Weiss professor of cardiology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. And we're going to talk a little bit about his findings of recent research published in the Journal of Clinical Investigation, which suggests that Viagra may actually prove useful in the treatment of and or prevention of heart damage due to chronic high blood pressure. Dr. Cass, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. Let's go back in time to when Viagra was in clinical trials. What were they actually looking for Viagra to do? Well, Viagra, as many of your listeners may or may not know, is a drug that inhibits an enzyme called PDE5, stands for phosphodiesterase type 5. This is an enzyme that would normally degrade a molecule, cyclic GMP, one of those second messenger molecules. And the enzyme had been discovered in platelets, where it was thought to play a role in clotting, sort of coagulation. It had been discovered in smooth muscle, so inhibiting it led to dilation. So really, it had its effect on nitric oxide. Right. Nitric oxide stimulates the enzyme that produces cyclic GMP, so-called soluble guanylate cyclase, and PD5 is getting rid of the cyclic GMP that is being produced. So either end of it, either you, it's like you turn off the vacuum cleaner or you make more dust, and it's the same effect. So they knew it was in platelets, and they knew it was in the blood vessels, and they initially started after ischemic heart disease. So the original trials were looking at an angina model. It seemed like a reasonable combination where you wanted to vasodilate and prevent clotting. And the trial that Pfizer had initiated didn't end up proving terribly positive for angina. For one thing, it turns out these drugs are not really very potent coronary vasodilators. We've learned what other you know, organs they do more potently dilate. So the patient's chest pain really wasn't affected. But the side effect, which was sort of a standard question on a forum, you know, you ask for all sorts of side effects, including how's your sex life. And the way I understood the story, all these forums ended up on someone's desk weekend where the rest of the group was away and a little post-it note on the top saying you might want to check out the answer to number 14 or whatever it was. It's very interesting. I had heard that a lot of the study candidates did not return the trial drug. That's what I heard, too. They liked the side effect. And so in an interesting way, it's very rare, really, I think, historically, that you have a drug that was initially being developed because of cardiovascular potential, ends up being found to have a side effect that doesn't involve the cardiovascular system, at least you know, directly, and that drug development and the studies to follow for quite some time become effectively hijacked away from the heart or any other cardiovascular organ. And up until very recently, when we got back to the lung, we knew it was in the lung and it was highly expressed in the lung and it could produce vasodilation in the lung. But it took almost a decade after the erectile dysfunction indication for the drug to now be approved for use in forms of pulmonary hypertension. And in that kind of context, it may be less surprising that it's taken us even a bit longer to get back to the heart and realize that this enzyme can have effects on the myocardium itself. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the effect on vasodilatation because you said it wasn't a great vasodilator, but why does it potentiate the effect of nitrates that much so that we're warned not to take it with nitrates if it doesn't have its own vasodilatory properties in the heart? 
It all depends upon where it's actually expressed. So levels of this enzyme PDE5 are clearly high in the corpus cavernosum, and as mentioned, they're high in the pulmonary vasculature. They're not so high in the arterial smooth muscle. They're somewhat elevated, or they're a little higher on venous side. And depending, again, upon where you are and where the nitric oxide is going to be acting, you can get differential effects. Remember that those warnings, which were based on some early, almost anecdotal experiences, I don't think there was a clear-cut clinical trial where people directly tested whether or not taking nitrates and a PDE5 inhibitor was always going to produce an adverse effect. There were just some patients who clearly had substantial blood pressure drops, and then a warning came out. And it sort of makes sense, but it's actually not entirely clear how that interaction is always going to work. And the synergy really does require that the action of the nitric oxide has to be in the same vascular bed where PD5 is expressed and where inhibiting it would then have this potentiating effect. So it's not an absolute given. And ironically, we're coming back to this. We published a study as an animal study where we combined a natriuretic peptide, which also increases cyclic GMP, with a PD5 inhibitor. And you might think sort of the same thing, that this would be not a good idea. This is sort of like Natricor, or you know, combining a synthetic natriuretic peptide with sildenafil. But actually, the synergy that we saw on blood pressure was only in the lung. We didn't see any synergistic interactions in the arterial side. Systemic blood pressure really was not affected by the combination any more than with uh, either one alone. It was actually relatively modest effects on the arterial side. So, again, exactly what happens to pressures depends really upon where the enzyme is. And that may even be changing in diseases. It seems to go up in some beds, like the lung and in the heart, in heart failure. So people with normal hearts versus failing hearts might have different interactions of these drugs. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Focus on Heart Health on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host, and I'm speaking with Dr. David Kass, an Abraham and Virginia Weiss professor of cardiology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. And we're talking about some research that he's done that suggests that Viagra may increase effects of a heart-protective protein. So tell me more about the trial you did and what you've learned. Well, we have to go one more step down the path. Why would an enzyme that prevents this molecule, cyclic GMP, end up perhaps preventing hypertrophy, the sort of classic heart response to sustain high blood pressure, and from hypertrophy, often heart failure? And for that, we have an enzyme that cyclic GMP stimulates, and that's called protein kinase G. And protein kinase G, like any kinase, phosphorylates things, and interacts with proteins that it then phosphorylates. And a number of those proteins have been suggested to be protective. PKG has been suggested to protect against ischemic damage and to improve sort of post-infarction remodeling. It's been suggested to enhance the mitochondrial function, so energetics are better. And there is data mostly coming from the natriuretic peptide side, which is another way of increasing protein kinase G activity, that it can be antihypertrophic. The issue of PD-5 originally was people really didn't think it was made in the heart. It was so low. The expression level of the protein was so low when you measured it that no one imagined it would ever really be important. But in work we actually first reported a couple of years ago where we first suggested that it's not only in the heart but inhibiting it had this anti-hypertrophic effect. What we found was that how much you have of this enzyme 
isn't so important as where it was is very strategic, and it seemed to regulate a very strategic pool of cyclic G and then protein kinase G, and indeed it had this antihypertrophic effect. So the question, sort of the natural question that followed that study that was published in 2005 was, how's it working? What is this target? If it's so strategic, what kinds of proteins might it be interacting with that could have this protective effect? And that, in some ways, brings us right up to this recent paper that reported in the Journal of Clinical Investigation. It's a basic science paper. It's all done in mice. And we do that, obviously, because we can knock things out and get rid of genes that we think are important signaling genes. And in this case, we looked at mice that lacked the gene for a protein known as RGS2. The RGS stands for regulator of G-coupled signaling, and there's a whole large family of these proteins. This is number two. And the thing that RGS2 is known to do in blood vessels, it's been described to do this in blood vessels, is it acts as an inhibitor of the G protein signal that is normally triggered by hormones like angiotensin or endothelin or alpha agonists. All of those enzymes work on a receptor level interacting through what's called a GQ protein. And the RGS2 naturally, when activated, will inhibit that cascade and, in essence, turn it off so that it can act to prevent long-term vasoconstriction. And this was work that was first reported out of Tufts a few years ago. And not much had been known about this protein in the heart. The mouse that doesn't have it has been around for a bit and doesn't develop any spontaneous heart problems that you can see. So people were figuring that it couldn't be all that important. In the so-called knockout mouse, you know, the protein's gone everywhere, not just in blood vessels. But what we found, which was first very striking, is if you take a mouse that doesn't have this RGS2 protein, they look fine. They look perfectly fine. And you expose it to a high blood pressure. To do that, what we do is put a little suture around the aorta so the pressure that the heart confronts goes up. It's called aortic constriction, just like aortic stenosis, only a band, like a coarc. And the mice died. They developed a lot of hypertrophy. They dilated within 48 hours, and within a week, 40% of them were dead. Whereas in the control group that had this protein, that didn't happen at all. We had to make our intervention even milder than usual because when we used our normal model, 100% were dying. It was very interesting. It was like the Achilles heel. We clearly identified this protein's very important. You wouldn't have known it just to look at the heart all the time, but you do the right thing and suddenly it's very damaging. And why this protein? Because it's been known that protein kinase G, that protein that Viagra will increase the activity of, is important for stimulating the protein RGS2 to do this sort of protective thing. So there's an interaction between these systems that we thought might turn out to be very important. And indeed, one of the other major findings of this paper was that if you take a mouse that has the protein, normal mouse, protein now RGS2, and you expose it to this pressure load, and they develop hypertrophy, and they, they compensate, and you can give sildenafil, Viagra, to these mice during that period of time, and there's less hypertrophy, very similar to what we had shown and published a few years ago. But if you don't have the RGS2 protein, then not only do you get more hypertrophy, but sildenafil is, doesn't do anything. It's ineffective. So it really pinpoints in this kind of molecular experiment done in an intact heart, intact animal, pinpoints this key interaction between sildenafil triggering a kinase, protein kinase G, this kinase activating this protective 
protein, RGS2, turning off a signal that is damaging that looks very much like an angiotensin or, as I said, an endothelin kind of stimulatory signal, but it's being triggered by pressure overload. So there's close interaction between these systems. So can you jump from the mouse to the human and tell me where you would like to see clinical investigations in different types of heart failure patients and where you think Viagra is going to be used prophylactically or even to treat heart failure patients? What do you see three, five years from now? There are a couple things that we've done and there are things that are already going on that I think listeners would be interested in. One thing we did early on was to test sildenafil in a just a normal volunteer group of folks here in Baltimore at Hopkins, where we examined whether or not it could inhibit another kind of stress, in this case, kind of catecholamine or sympathetic stress. We did that with giving people dobutamine and stimulating their hearts with dobutamine. And in mice, we'd previously shown that you could inhibit that kind of a response, almost like a beta blocker effect, with sildenafil also. And it worked in people. So it's really one of the first bits of evidence that there really is a heart effect of sildenafil in human beings. This was published in circulation a few years back. In an accumulated series of studies from our lab and others, the NIH is now, in fact, sponsoring a multicenter clinical trial. It's called the RELAX trial, which people can find at um, clinicaltrials.gov. That's a multicenter kind of consortium trial, and they're studying what we'll call patients with heart failure in the preserved ejection fraction, what some have called diastolic heart failure. And this is really the other half of heart failure where your ejection fraction is over 50%. Your hearts usually are not dilated. Hypertension is an extremely common component. People tend to be more elderly. It's more often in women. And this is the disease that is being first studied in this trial to see whether sildenafil will be effective in both reducing hypertrophy and sort of secondary markers, but the primary endpoints are really an exercise test, exercise capacity, clinical symptoms, and things like rehospitalization rates and stuff like that. Important, I think, clinical endpoints that are being targeted. And we're going to get some answers, I think, fairly soon as to whether or not a hypertensive kind of heart failure, much like our mice, can be ameliorated by this therapy. Well, Dr. David Cass, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been my pleasure. My guest was Dr. David Cass, an Abraham and Virginia Weiss professor of cardiology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, and he spoke to us from Baltimore today. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to Focus on Heart Health on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts, or you can call us toll-free with comments or suggestions at 888-MD-XM160. And thank you for listening.